What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John, and we are back with episode 55, analyzing and predicting the UFC Philadelphia card going down this Saturday night. And we are concluding the nine-week stretch of UFC events that have gone down over the past nine weeks. It's been a long and grueling stretch with a lot of great fights, a lot of uh, tape study to be done. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it goes without saying that I'm looking forward to the break next week after you know studying every single one of these matchups for the past nine weeks. But like I said, it's been exciting. There's been great fights, and it's been totally worth it. And we are concluding it with the UFC on ESPN card going down this weekend in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm from Philadelphia myself. I will be in attendance Saturday night. I can't fucking wait for this card. Top to bottom, it's got great matchups. 13 fights, and you know we're just praying to the MMA gods that it keeps intact. Uh, you know the main event has got you know fight of the year written all over it. Edson Barbosa versus Justin Gaethje. You know just two incredible strikers that bring the fight every time. I don't think I've seen a boring fight from either one of these guys. Maybe a few boring Barbosa fights, but definitely never a boring Justin Gaethje fight. And you know you just couldn't really ask for a better headlining fight than this for an e- uh, an ESPN card. And the US the UFC knows it. They knows that they're on ESPN. They know that they need uh, casual matchups to or not casual match. You know, good matchups to uh, attract casual viewers, and this is has that written all over it. So, with that being said, we're going to start things off at the bottom of the card. We're going to preview all 13 fights before we get to the main event. So, we're starting things off in the bantamweight division. We got Alex Perez, who is 21 and five, taking on Mark De La Rosa, who is 11 and one. Now, the opening betting line for this one was. Alex Perez as the minus 185 favorite to Mark De La Rosa at plus 145. And looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, fivedimes.eu, we see Perez at minus 345 to De La Rosa at plus 285. So a lot of money coming in on Alex Perez. And I, I, I got to say that I'm a bit surprised, honestly. When I when I first saw this line open, I actually thought about uh, betting De La Rosa right away. And what a mistake that would have been if I bet him at um, – plus 145 and him now sitting at uh, plus 285 you know so uh, an incredible amount of action coming in on Alex Perez in this matchup um, you know I, I, I get Perez being the favorite but I really do not think that he should be uh, this much of a favorite now one thing that's coming into a big play in this uh, matchup is that they're both moving up in weight class and the flyweight division I think was perfect for Mark De La Rosa he was you know a smaller size flyweight really benefited from the weight class while Perez I think is a big uh, flyweight and will benefit more from the move to bantamweight and it's it's sad that uh, De La Rosa is moving up because I really don't see him having much of a career at uh, bantamweight unfortunately so uh, but getting down to the matchup of these things we got Alex Perez he's a you know a great boxer he uh, you know had that crazy war with uh, Shorty Torres where he threw like 200 punches in one round and eventually got the TKO victory in that one that's just a you know a barn burner of a fight he had some great wrestling skills where he took down and uh, controlled Eric Shelton winning a decision in uh, that fight you know Shelton's got a great ground game good wrestling of his own so that's a very impressive win and uh, you know he, he, he fell short against uh, Benavidez in his last fight you know he got TKO'd in that fight people will tell you that a headbutt changed the course of the fight man I don't know about that I, I it I watched that fight recently it didn't look like much of a headbutt um, and 
you know, P Perez just got stuck on bottom and just got some ground and pound rained on top of him by Benavides eventually getting the finish in that one. So, uh, you know, this one, it's going to be a tough matchup for De La Rosa in this one. Taking on the bigger guy, he's going to be the, uh, Perez is going to be the better striker. And he's got good wrestling game to uh, defend the ground attacks of De La Rosa. De La Rosa's path to victory, I think, is, is definitely going to be on the ground in this one. He's got really good submissions. Uh, that's where most of his wins in the UFC have come so far. Uh, the you know his uh, his defensive grappling though is not very good I don't think I think that if uh, Perez is the one trying to level change in this one and to take him down I think Perez will get those takedowns he will use his size strength and that that better wrestling pedigree he has to get uh, De La Rosa down and De La Rosa has the tendency of you know going for a guillotine or you know trying to get a sub to stuff a takedown instead of you know using wrestling to stuff a takedown so that could get him caught on his back here so. You know, if Perez maybe, uh, or if uh, De La Rosa puts on a lot of muscle before this matchup, he's, you know, feeling bigger for the weight class. He's got that game plan down. He's looking to take down Perez, uh, you know, take his back and go for the choke. Uh, you know, he has a small path to victory in this one, but I really think that uh, Perez has more path to victory. I think that he could probably punish De La Rosa on the feet, possibly even uh, TKO uh, De La Rosa. He could uh, maybe even uh, make this one a grappling heavy uh, decision game plan with, you know, just staying in the top position and raining down uh, ground and pound, or he could possibly just look to cruise it out on the feet to a decision. So Perez has got a lot of more pass to victory, but where the line sits at now, I would definitely not trust Perez's money line, and I, I you know, I would not knock a stab on De La Rosa, but uh, the pick is going to be Perez in this one to get it done. Next fight is in the women's flyweight division. We have Marion Mraz, who is eight and three, taking on Sabina Mazo, who is six and zero. Oh. The opening betting line for this one was Mazo as the favorite at minus one seventy-five to Mraz as the dog at plus one thirty-five. Right now, over on five dimes, we're seeing Mazo at minus one forty-five, Mraz plus one twenty-five. So line margins tightening up. You know, pretty surprising, honestly. I've I've been seeing people talk about Mazo all week. She's got, you know, some highlight reel head kick knockouts. You know, Mraz has been in the UFC for a while, has never really impressed uh, anybody, not just me. I don't think anybody is impressed with Mraz. She uh, just doesn't really seem like she wants to, uh, you know, hurt her opponents too much. It seems like she's going in there at a point fight, like it's like a karate competition or something like that. She doesn't really have much killer instinct. Um, you know, the, the only time I've really seen her look mean in the octagon or look, you know, uh unless she wanted to end a fight is when she landed a massive uh, overhand right on Danielle Taylor just a wicked punch somehow that somehow Daniel Taylor survived that one but regardless uh, that's the you know Miraz is uh, she's a long girl she's like got a you know kickboxing st style she throws a lot of output but she it's like they're they're feeler shots it's like she's throwing shots not to hit you but to i don't know prevent you from moving forward she's got a really weird fighting style she misses almost all of her strikes you know, it's like she never really connects with the, the, the girl that she's fighting. It's 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 very, very strange. Um, she It looks like, uh, the reason why I say kickboxing, not Muay Thai, is because her clinch game is weak. She looks very inexperienced in the clinch. It doesn't look like she's know, knowing what she's doing. It doesn't look like she knows what she's doing in the wrestling game either or the jiu-jitsu. You know, she's got a couple uh, arm bars and finishes on her early records, but that's the way it goes usually in, in low-level women's MMA. It's The fights are, you know, they're, they... they collide into each other they 
uh, they grapple to the ground and then someone gets a, uh, an arm bar on one another and that's how the fight goes and that's how she got a bunch of her early victories but in the UFC she has not really shown too much of her grappling success actually I think she has an arm bar win over uh, Jojo Calderwood which is you know a pretty decent win actually but that was you know three or four years ago she has not looked good since uh, she hasn't really been too active either you know looking at her record she fought uh, once in 2017 lost a decision to Esparza once in 2018 lost a decision to Angela Hill and now she's coming back to, versus Sabina Mazzo here and probably uh, gonna lose a decision in this one I just thought that think that uh Mazzo is much more fluid on the feet you know she throws with a lot more ill intent her kicks are wicked man you know she's got some absolute highlight reel knockouts where she uh, she kicks girls dead like dead corpses collapsing over with her head kicks man it's, it's it's a really pleasure to watch i wasn't expecting it you know i hadn't really heard i you know i might have seen the the highlights one or two times i didn't know her I, you know i recognized her name a little bit but i never really sat down and watched her fight so when i'm watching her fights uh, i see her uh, fighting mariam Mraz, i'm expecting a boring kickboxing match and then i see these girls get dropped with the head kicks out and out of nowhere it really shocked me so you know mazza looks really good you know her boxing doesn't look too bad her footwork look, footwork looks really good you know, she looks like I said, much more fluent uh, on the feet, and um, you know, she. Both of these girls get hit a lot. Both of them don't really pay too much attention to uh, defense. You know, I think both of them, uh, their takedown defense is no good, uh, and you know, their their ground game I think are both decent. So I think their ground games will mostly cancel one another out, and then it'll be mostly contested on the feet, where I just expect Mazzo to be landing the harder, cleaner shots all fight to a decision, possibly even getting a finish on uh, Mraz if she's able to whip that head kick around. But, um, you know, I, I got to lean with a decision instead of a, uh, a knockout. You know, it's Mazzo's uh, debut in the UFC. She'll probably play it safe and uh, cruise to a decision now striking Mraz in this one so that's going to be the pick the next fight takes place in the bantamweight division we have Ray Borg who is 11 and 3 taking on Casey Kenny who is 11 1 and 1 the opening betting line for this one was Ray Borg at minus 350 to Casey Kenny at plus 250 right now at over uh, at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes .eu, we see Borg minus 300 to Casey at plus 250 so not much action coming in on this fight so far I actually found out a, a pretty cool website zuki.com where it tells you the amount of wagers that have been placed on uh, either fighter on five dimes you know which is which is pretty sweet um, so we are looking over at, uh, at this uh, Zuki.com. We're seeing that almost no wagers have come in on this fight at all. It is. It was just announced pretty recently. Uh, Ray Borg, his opponent, changed for this fight multiple, multiple times. He was supposed to fight uh, Ping Yang Liu, and then he was supposed to fight Kyler Phillips, and now he's fighting Casey Kenny. I tell you, man, what an up and down year that Ray Borg has has had. He uh, his last fight was against Demetrius Johnson, uh, you know, which a fight where he actually missed. I think was supposed to fight UFC 215. I think he, you know, miss couldn't make weight, and the fight was scratched on like the, a week's notice. The fight got rescheduled to UFC 216, and he got you know completely outclassed and finished by Demetrius Johnson in that one. Then he is uh, supposed to fight Brandon Marino, gets rescheduled. Finally, is at fight week, and then Conor McGregor throws a dolly and shatters like glass in Ray Borg's eye. They rescheduled the Brandon Marino fight. He, he can't fight. He's supposed to fight Benavidez. He can't fight. His son, you know, was, uh, I believe, had cancer, and he had to pull out of a lot of fights because of that. 
So he's had, you know, five, six fights canceled, uh, five, six different opponents canceled in the past year. So just crazy year for Borg. And uh, he's moving up in weight class in this one. Seems like most of the flyweights are moving up to uh, 35 just to make sure that they have their job secured. Because if you fight a flyweight and you lose that fight, there's a great chance that you get uh, cut from the roster, which is just a totally fucked up situation. But regardless, getting down to the matchup in this one. It's a close one, honestly. I think it's a little bit closer than what the uh, odds are saying right now. Um, you know, I, I am taking Borg's inactivity in a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it a little bit. You know, it's definitely something to uh, to think about. Also, uh, Borg is moving up in weight in this one while uh, Casey Kenny has fought at Bantamweight before. So I'm sure Borg has fought at Bantamweight throughout his career, maybe once or twice. But, you know, he definitely has the frame of a flyweight. So it'll be interesting to see if the size differences uh plays a factor in this one but they i think i don't think it will i think they should be pretty evenly matched size wise but uh you know getting down to the matchup we got uh ray borg he's i'd say uh, definitely a wrestling base he's got uh you know great wrestling game offensive and defense he he can you know hit takedowns of his own and he can defend them very well he defended uh juicier formigas takedowns very well you know a really high level grappler of his own and defended some submission attacks from formiga as well formiga was able to take his back but Borg was able to defend the choke, reverse position, and then rain down some ground and pound on Formiga and eventually win that round and that fight from Formiga. So a very impressive win. Uh, probably his most impressive on it on his career uh, for Borg. And, you know, uh, one thing in that fight is that he uh, his, his boxing looked much improved. It looks like he was, you know, moving a lot quicker. And uh, he just got caught, caught with a few hard leg kicks, and it looked like it, his leg was a little bit tender because of it. So look for that, uh, you know, his, his future opponents to exploit that. I don't really remember if Demetrius Johnson did or not. I'm not going to rewatch that fight. Um, but uh, Casey Kenny making his UFC debut, you know, an LFA uh, veteran, a Tuesday Night Contender Series veteran. He uh, was on that show, fought twice, actually uh, won both of his fights, but, you know, just got absolutely robbed of a decision uh, versus, um, what is this gentleman's name? Um, uh, Roy Val. No, no, no. He beat Roy Val. He beat, uh, there was some other guy. Let me figure out this this guy's name. I just watched this fight an hour ago, and, you know, the ju uh, the, the commentators, Dana White, both of them said, you won that fight, man. You won. Uh, Adam Antolin, yeah. So he, he took on uh, Antolin in that show, you know, easily easily won that fight and was unfortunately robbed in the scorecard so uh you know casey kenny has never lost he's coming in here he just uh defended his his uh bantamweight title at lfa he was he just went five rounds and then he was training for another fight that was scheduled to be five rounds uh up and coming soon and that's when he got the call to come in for this fight short notice so you know 250 for casey kenny in this one it sounds good and it sounds good already and i haven't even began to tell you about you know some of the good things that he does well in the cage and i've been impressed with kenny you know he's got his striking looks very solid you know he's got good kicks his boxing is really good he's got a nice left hand he can he's got some power behind it too you know he likes exchanging in the pocket a little bit he likes you know planting his feet and throwing some bombs from time to time which you know could get him caught but it hasn't yet his chin has looked good so far and you know i don't think borg will be the kind of puncher to be uh, to test uh, kenny's chin i don't i just don't think that's really in his style um and you know kenny also his grappling is very good he he is you know his opponent uh roy val that um that's where i got that name from earlier uh, he took he took uh, Royval down. He threatened with submissions. He used ground and pound. He kept top control. He dominated that fight on the ground, retaining his belt in that one. And uh, you know he, 
like I said, it's it's going to be tough for for Kenny to you know get that ground game going against Borg because Borg is so solid on the ground. You know his his uh, takedown defense, uh, his reversals, and his sub defense. You know if, if Formiga, one of the best grapplers in the UFC, wasn't able to submit uh, Borg, I don't see Kenny doing it either. But I think Kenny can win this fight. Otherwise, I think he can you know uh, edge out a close decision. If this fight stays on the feet, I think it will be really competitive. I actually might give the the edge to. Kenny, you know, he's, these guys have similar experience, you know, they both have, you know, 12, 13, 14 fights, and uh, I just think that Kenny is a little more fluid on the feet, I think he's got some more, the more tools, I think he's a little more calm and calculated, while Borg kind of just sprints into the pocket and throws quick punches and gets out. Um, so and that that layoff that's you know 18 month layoff is going to be something big in this fight I, I really you know Casey like I said who has been you know fighting very regularly been winning fights and training for to defend his title while Borg has been struggling to get fights you know dealing with those personal issues and uh, you know dealing with that glass in his eye he might have had some injuries that he had to pull out of other fights for so you know he's got a lot on his plate so you know where the odds are at now I, I think it's uh, I would not knock a play on uh, Casey Kenny I might even even end up betting him, him right now just based on value i think it's much more you know borg should be maybe minus 150 casey kenny plus 130 it's just pretty crazy how wide the line is right now so man i'm gonna go with casey kenny to pull off the upset in this one uh i just think that he will land the cleaner harder shots all fight and uh win a decision so the next fight is taking place in the middleweight division we have kevin holland who is 14 and four taking on gerald michart who is 29 and 10. The opening betting line for this one was Kevin Holland as the minus 265 favorite to Mearshart at plus 185. Looking over at 5dimes.eu, we see Holland minus 190 to Mearshart at plus 165. So a lot of action coming in Mearshart's way. Uh, I agree with it. I think where the line was... Uh, the opening line was set a little bit too wide. I think that Holland has looked good in the in the ULC so far, um, but I don't think that he deserves to be minus two sixty five over Mearshart in this spot. You know, Holland. Uh, I think I would. He's very well rounded. You know, his his striking is good. He's got good kickboxing, a nice jab. He's got good kicks. And he's also got a good ground game. He's got uh, you know uh, good defense. Uh, he he actually he actually defends ground and pound well. You don't hear that very often. But when he was on bottom versus Thiago Santos, he was you know shrimping his hips and moving side to side and blocking punches. And you know Santos looked like he was raining down ground and pound on him. But if you watch that closely, Holland was covering up those shots, moving out of the way. Something you really don't see from guys. Uh, from bottom too much you see them you know once they start to get hit with some ground and pound they turn over they give up their back or they scramble up to their feet and you know get in a bad position but holland just remained calm and just evaded the shots something like i said you don't see very often so that impressed me and uh his his kickboxing is look you know sensational uh but against against you know john phillips though so don't take it too seriously you know he was able to his kicks and his jab were looking you know pretty solid against uh, Phillips but Phillips is one of the lowest level opponents on the roster so um you know Jeremy Short he uh he's a wild man you know he, he on the feet he looks looks like he's a little uncomfortable on the feet sometimes it looks like he's he, he blitzes in he swarms with 5 10 20 punches sometimes and likes to just throw power power it doesn't really have much technique doesn't look like he's trying to be accurate it looks like he's just trying to overwhelm you with uh with punches 
you know, and then, and then, uh, what's he looking to do? You know, I don't know. So it looks like he's just, like, getting in brawls, man. You watched that fight with Oscar Pachota. That shit was just a, a, a brawl from start to finish where he ended up, you know, withstanding the storm, you know, defending the choke from Pachota and then getting on top and ended up getting his own choke on, uh, just putting Pachota out cold. Same thing with the Eric Spicely fight, you know. It looked like he was, it looked like he was getting tuned, uh, tagged up a bit, it, you know, it looked like he was, you know, playing rope-a-dope on the feet with Spicely, you know, kind of letting Spicely uh, have a close fight with him, and then all of a sudden he whips around that body kick and TKOs Spicely in that one. So Mirshard's got, you know, sneaky power on the feet. He's he's a wild man, and uh, if if the, this one stays on the feet, I expect Holland to be the more technical one. He's probably going to be jabbing and uh, teeping Mirshard away at distance, uh, not uh, allowing Mirshard to come in and into the pocket where he's more comfortable um you know and then where this one gets to the floor it's you know I, I honestly see the holland having the the, the advantage on the floor too you know mirshart was just absolutely outclassed by jack hermanson in his last fight you know taken down mounted ground and pound just beaten to a pulp by hermanson in, in that fight just a great performance from hermanson in that one but Mirshard's got really good chokes, man. He his ground game is is much better than his striking. You know, most of his wins have come by the way of a uh, submission. He's good at defending submissions. So I think that you know I don't think Holland will be able to to uh, defend the chokes. Uh, or excuse me, I don't. I, I think I don't even know what I just said. I think that. Um, the, the ground will be even, you know, I think, I don't think the either guy will be submitting one another, I think this fight will, will de it really depends on what's going to happen on the stand-up, and I just give the edge to, to Kevin Holland in the stand-up in this one, I, I don't think I would bet him as a favorite, you know, I, I just think there's a little bit too much unknown about him, we haven't really seen him tested too much, you know, we saw him against uh, uh, Santos short notice against middle, uh, at middleweight, you know, and for a, for coming in that fight against a dangerous guy like Santos at short notice, you know, he looked good in that fight. And, you know, it looked like he looked good against Phillips, but like I said, very low-level opponent. So he, there's still a lot unknown uh, about our boy Kevin Holland. He's, you know, an entertaining fighter to watch. There's no doubt it's going to be an entertaining fight. I think that uh, actually Holland's antics in the cage will probably draw uh, Mearshart into a more reckless type of fight where I think that Holland has a good chance at, you know, testing that chin of Mearshart and um, possibly uh, putting him out of there. So, you know, I don't I don't see this one going to the cards, man. I see this one, one of these guys finishing another. I don't see it, seeing it be buying a submission either. I think both of these guys' ground game are solid. I think they'll cancel each other out and it'll really come down to what happens on the feet in this one. So... Where the odds are at now, you know, I don't, I'd say it's much more playable than where they uh, they opened up. Um, but I would not I would not be betting um, Holland as a favorite. Certainly, I wouldn't knock a play on Mearshart as the dog, but I just don't see him pulling off the victory in this one. So uh, the pick is going to be Kevin Holland to get this one done, probably by uh, TKO. All right, the next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Enrique Barzola. Who is 15, 3, and 1, taking on Kevin Aguilar, who is 16 and 1. The opening betting line for this one was Barzola as the minus or excuse me, plus 125 underdog to Aguilar at minus 165. Right now we are seeing the line flip to Barzola at minus 122. Aguilar at plus 100 over at 5dimes.eu. So uh, interesting opening line in this one. Aguilar at minus 165. It seems like the bookie, uh, you know, whoever the odds maker opened this line, uh, values 
Aguilar a little bit higher than the, what the public is thinking. So this is a close fight, you know. It's 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 you know the odds indicate it's one of the closest matchups in the card, and you know I would have to agree. Uh, it, it's it's really going to be a razor close one, and and it depends, you know, about the geography of the fight, where the fight takes place. Uh, if it takes place on the feet, Aguilar wins. If it takes place on the ground, Eileen Barzola. You know, Kevin Aguilar's UFC debut in his last fight against Rick Glenn, I was really impressed with him. I thought his boxing looks really solid in that one. He was throwing hard shots that were uh, hurting Glenn, you know, busting Glenn up in that one. And he also defended the takedowns well of Glenn. I was impressed. You know, he got caught against the cage a couple of times and Glenn would shoot and he was able to uh, defend the takedowns. And, uh, you know, he, he definitely has his flaws. You know, he was taken down by uh, by uh, Gomez on the uh, Tuesday Night Contender Series, and he was held down, too. He did not look too good off his back. It didn't look like his get-ups were too good, and it did not look like his, uh, you know, he had any much jujitsu to help him, you know, sweep or submit to get back up to his feet. So, you know, Aguilar is really going to need this fight to stay on the floor, or excuse me, stay on the feet. And his, you know, do I trust takedown defense? I, I do not, honestly. Uh, I think Barzola will get him down. Barzola has relentless wrestling. He he, all he's trying to do is wrestle out there. He doesn't give a fuck about striking. His striking sucks. He's only striking to close the distance. You start at distance, spam a couple shots, and then shoot the takedown. Uh, you know when when it's at when it's at range. You know when it's at range on the feet, he's bad. His defense is bad. His offense is bad. He he if it stays on the feet, I honestly see Aguilar knocking Barzola out. Uh, but it's going to be tough to stop those takedowns because he's relentless with them. He'll he'll go for a single, then he'll go for a double, then he'll go for a trip, then he'll go for, you know, he does, he, he chain wrestles really, really well. And, uh, you know, that's the way he's won his fights. But his style is exhausting, Barzola. He, he goes for the takedowns, but his top control is not good. So he'll use all of his energy and all of his muscle to get you down to the ground and you should think, oh, okay, got him down. Uh, now it's time to, you know, uh, hold him down. You know, get a better position, get some ground and pound, get get a submission. Right? No, Barzola is just look. It seems like he's just looking for the takedown. He his top control sucks. His opponents always get up. Gabriel Benitez got taken down ten times and got up ten times. You know, he still lost that fight clearly because he wasn't landing any hard shots on the feet. But you know, Barzola's his top control is definitely something to look for, look at in this fight. So even if he's if he's using that energy to get Aguilar down, and he's struggling with the takedowns, and he's using that gas tank to get Aguilar down, and he's not doing much with the takedowns, he's not doing damage or threatening with submissions. Barzola could get tired, and he definitely looks like he slows down in his fights. Now, it's not like he's totally gassed out losing the third round. It's just he looks very slow in the third round. He's still able to hit takedowns. He's still able to win rounds, but he slows down significantly. So, uh, you know, the, the only uh, real tool that, that Barzola has in the feet honestly is leg kicks uh you know and he doesn't have to be uh, you know worried about kicks too much because uh he's not worried about being taken down he wants the fight to go on the ground and in this matchup in particular Aguilar is not going to have much uh jiu-jitsu or ground game to uh threaten Barzola with so I expect Barzola to be you know th throwing kicks at range looking to close the distance and get the takedown I expect him to get the takedown but I don't expect him to hold Aguilar down I expect Aguilar to, you know, get back up and make this fight close. And I think that Aguilar could land the, some hard shots that, that rock Barzola and possibly win rounds, possibly finish Barzola. 
Now, I, I lean Aguilar in this matchup, but I, I'm not going to bet him at plus 100. His his takedown defense is just and his get-ups and his jiu-jitsu are just a little too lackluster for me to be betting him at just plus 100. If I got a little bit of a better price on him, you know, I might might stab on it. I wouldn't trust Barzola at these odds either, man. His striking is so bad. Uh, and his top control is so bad that I just don't think I wouldn't be comfortable betting on him to, you know, ride this one out to a decision. So if Aguilar's gas tank is on point, he's, he's you know, he's content to defend, you know, get taken down, get back up to his feet and then land the harder shots on the feet throughout the fight. Then I, I could see him, you know, winning a decision in this one or possibly uh, knocking Aguilar out. If Aguilar's get-ups, his takedown defense, his cardio is not on point, then I think Barzola will be taking him down uh, all night and, you know, cruising to a decision. Uh, Barzola has almost no finishing ability, doesn't go for submissions, doesn't throw any hard punches. So if Barzola wins, it'll be by decision. Aguilar could win by decision, but if he wins this one, I think most of the time it's by knockout. So I'm going to lean Aguilar, maybe go with a second-round uh, TKO for Aguilar, but uh, it's not a confident pick at all. But really close matchup. And the next fight is taking place in the lightweight division. We have Ross Pearson, who is 20 and 5, taking on Desmond Green, who is 21 and 8. Now the betting line for this one opened up Desmond Green as the minus 365 favorite to Ross Pearson at plus 255. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, five dimes.u, we see Desmond Green minus 450 to Ross Pearson at plus 360. So a lot, a lot of action coming in on Des Green, even as the three to one favorite, pushing him to almost five to one in this matchup. Uh, I don't agree with it at all. You know, I think Green should be favorite. I think he should be minus 250, you know, minus 300 maybe. But minus 450 for Desmond Green is ridiculous. You know, this guy was just a plus 300 underdog against Maribek Tysimov in his last fight. And now he's minus uh, 450 in this spot. Crazy how times change. Well, you know, he did look very good in that fight. You know, he, he lost the fight to Tysimov, uh, you know, pretty clearly. But he, he looked good. You know, maybe Tysimov looked bad. Who knows? But, um, you know, Green has looked good lately. He's taken on some, some stiff competition. Mostly these, uh, you know, these older, these older uh, lightweights that are, you know, kind of stuck in, stuck in the mud, I would say. Uh, Rustam Kabilov, Misha Prizeris, uh, Gleason Tibau, Maribek Tysimov. Uh, you know, those guys are, those guys are tough. No, no doubt about it. Uh, only picking up one win out of his last four fights, though. He, he, uh, he definitely struggles uh, with the higher-level guys. But, you know, Ross Pearson is not that. Ross Pearson is at the end of his career. You know, talk about, you know, Green is 1-3 in his last four. Well, Pearson is, I think, 1-6 in his past seven. Maybe even worse than that, man. This guy, it's, it's a miracle that this guy is still on the UFC roster. Um yeah, one and one and five in his last six. So, uh, pretty pretty insane that that, that uh, Pearson's still on the roster. But he he doesn't look totally shot yet. I, I'll give him that. I've seen shot fighters. Uh, you know, I would say I wouldn't say Pearson is quite there yet. I would just say that he's you know on the steep decline. You know, in his last fight against Mac Desi, Pearson was still you know marching forward. His chin looked good. He was eating shots, but he was coming forward. You know, he was he's tough as fuck. You know, his his chin does not look like it's it's fading too too bad. You know, and that's going to be a a good thing in this matchup because Desmond Green does not throw hard shots. You know, he's got 
decent boxing. He's got a nice left hand, but he does not throw very hard. He dropped Gleison Tebow with, the, I think, a left hand. But, you know, I think that's the only time I've really seen him show power in the octagon. And Green's a small lightweight, man. It seems like he could definitely make 145. He's got that ridiculous hair. Like, it's his hair is down, like, to his, his butt cheeks. And then he ties it up in the most ridiculous way. And it's flopping all over the place when he's fighting. It's really uh, annoying. But... He's very well-rounded, you know. Like I said, he's got that that good boxing. He's got, uh, I believe, he's a D1 wrestler or something like that. Uh, wrestled in college, he's got really good wrestling to, to back him up in this one. So uh, I see it being contested on the feet, you know. And if it's on the if it's on the feet, I think Pearson honestly has a shot at winning as a plus three sixty underdog. If he's, you know, if Desmond Green tends to be a little bit low output, he tends to not really. Man, it just doesn't seem like he fights with fire. You know, he, he, he's going out there to point fight. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's looking to knock people out. It doesn't look like he, you know, wants to be in a brawl. You know, he's uh, been, has had five fights in the UFC. All five have gone to decision. His past nine fights have gone to the decision. So, he, like I said, he doesn't really throw with, with too much ill intent. So, if Green, if this fight takes place on the feet and Pearson is constantly marching forward and Green is being low output, he's not throwing hard shots, Pearson's going to be marching him down like a zombie and he's going to be throwing hard punches back. The judges could easily see that and give that round to Pearson. And he, he has a good chance at, you know, squeaking out a, a close decision in this one just by, you know, coming forward more, by throwing more, and maybe by, you know, throwing with some, uh, with harder ill intent, you know. You know what I mean by that? It's just you know Pearson. Even even though he was getting his ass kicked by Mac Desi, he was still you know em embracing that just bleed spirit and you know th throwing uh, winging punches and you know ju judges like that shit. You know, sometimes you know us us hardcore fans knows knows that that you know doesn't win you around. But some some people, the casual people, they see it and they love it. You know, Kyle Bochniak won rounds against Zabit according to uh, the judges' scorecards, but. You know, did he really? I don't know. I thought he got outstruck in that round three, but he came forward marching like a madman, throwing shots, and he won the round on some of the judges' scorecards. So it's very possible that that could happen. But if Green chooses to mix up his wrestling, mix up the ground game into his striking, you know, use that, use his striking to set up his takedowns and make this fight, uh, you know, a, a mixed martial arts fight instead of just a kickboxing bout, I think the Green will win this one, uh, you know, most of the time. That's why he's such a big favorite is because he's most likely going to mix up the ground game uh, into this one and, uh, you know, probably win a decision. But, you know, I'm throwing a little fun money on Pearson. I think he's got a chance of squeaking out a decision in this one, although the pick is going to be Green. The next fight takes place in the women's strawweight division. We have Jessica Aguilar, who is 20 and 7, taking on Marina Rodriguez, who is 10 and 10 0 and 1 with one draw. Um, the opening betting line for this one was Marina Rodriguez, the minus 335 favorite to Jessica Aguilar, plus 245. Looking over at five dimes right now, we see Rodriguez minus 345, Aguilar plus 285. So. A little bit of action coming in uh, Rodriguez's way. Another short-notice fight. Marina Rodriguez was uh, supposed to take on uh, Alex Grasso in this one, but uh, Grasso had pulled out, and uh, good old Jag is coming in to replace her in this one. You know, uh, Aguilar is the much more experienced fighter, but, you know, it, it shows. She's She's got some years on her. You know, 36 years old. Uh, one in three in her past four fights. She's she struggled. Uh, you know, only one in three in the UFC total. But 
I think she kind of got thrown to the wolves. She was, you know, 18-4 and four coming into the UFC. You know, she was in World Series of Fighting, you know, fucking girls up. She was, you know, on a 10-fight win streak. And then the UFC throws her to Claudia Gedalia on her first fight. She didn't, didn't fight for two years, then comes back against Courtney Casey, loses a, a close decision in that one. And then uh, finally comes back with a uh, nice win against Jody Escobar, and then gets absolutely mauled by Willie Tsang in her last fight. Just, you know, ground and pound, t- uh, taken down, ground and pound, and then submitted. So, uh, you know, t- very tough straws that uh, Jessica Aguilar drew in her UFC career so far. Definitely a more winnable matchup in this one. You know, Marina Rodriguez uh, made her UFC debut in her last fight. She had uh, she went to a draw with Randa Marcos somehow. Now, uh, Randa Marcos was able to take her down in that first round. Was able to you know uh, get top control, get mount, look for some submissions, look for some ground and pound, and apparently won the the scorecards 10-8 uh, on uh, on I think most of the judges' scorecards. Let me let's pull up that shit on uh, MMADecisions.com and we'll figure out what the uh, exact scorecards were in that one. But, you know, Rodriguez dug deep in that fight. You know, she was taken down. She lost the first round clearly. She was, you know, mounted. She almost got finished. And then she comes back in rounds two and three and then wins uh, wins the fight. Or, excuse me, makes the fight a draw. So it seems like, uh, let's see, yeah, the majority of people agree that that that, uh, that round one was 10-8 for Marcos, and the last two rounds were 10-9 for Rodriguez. You know, a lot of people also agree that it was 10-9 uh, for Marcos in the first. So, where the betting line is set at now, you know, Marina Rodriguez is a minus 350 favorite. That's fucking ridiculous, you know. Uh, this girl's, you know, brand new to the UFC, you know, only had one fight, got taken down, and, you know, lost the grappling in that fight. And, you know, that's definitely what Jessica Aguilar is going to be looking to do in this fight as well. She's got a pretty solid ground game. You know, that fight against uh, Courtney Casey, she had she had a good amount of success uh, versus uh, Courtney Casey with those takedowns. Now, she would get the takedowns, but then in terms of doing damage with them, not so much. You know, uh, she didn't look like she was going for submissions, not, not, not no top control, no ground and pound. She would get the submissions and then kind of let her opponent get up and Courtney Casey in that one. So, you know, I, I just think that Rodriguez is the, the, you know, she's got, I didn't even talk about her really yet. She's got really great Muay Thai. You know, she's got good kicks, good knees, elbows. She's solid in the clinch. You know, all the things a good Muay Thai fighter has. Her boxing defense, not very good. Seems like she's got that tall, tall women's defense. You know, she is a longer, taller girl, so she doesn't really move, uh, uh, slip punches too well. She kind of just tries to move away from them, but ends up getting tagged a little bit. Um, you know, she and then her just her grappling overall, it, it, it's definitely a huge liability. You know, she got head and arm thrown versus Marcos, a really low level takedown. Then got, like I said, controlled, full mounted, you know, defended. She defended the submissions well, and like I said, she showed some good cardio getting back uh, those rounds two and three and making that fight a draw. But her weakness was definitely exposed. And, you know, she's fighting Marcos. Marcos is, you know, she's been in, she's had that type of fight before where she's had early success and then she uh, lost the fight late. So uh, Jag might. Uh, complete a couple takedowns in this fight. She might get Rodriguez to the ground for a little bit, but I don't see her having the top control, the submission skills, the ground and pound skills to to win the rounds on the floor versus Rodriguez. I see Rodriguez keeping this fight standing and honestly just butchering uh, Aguilar 
uh, wherever it goes. I don't think she'll finish her. I think Rodriguez will win a decision. Uh, you know, it's possible, though. You know, Rodriguez made her opponent quit on the Tuesday Night Contender Series. She was beating her so bad, the the woman, the woman literally turned to the referee and said no more and quit um, while on the feet. You know, it wasn't, like, knockdown. It wasn't, like, a, a verbal tap or anything. She just quit. Um, so I see Rodriguez keeping this one on the feet and then uh, winning a decision. Next fight is taking place in the featherweight division we have shaman marias who is 11 and 2 taking on sadiq youssef who is 8 and 1 the opening betting line for this one was sadiq youssef minus 135 to shaman marias minus 105 so looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes we see youssef minus 135 to Marias plus 115 so much more action coming in Yusef's way actually he you know opened minus 135 and then immediately was bet all the way to minus 200 slowly crept up to the minus 175 minus 180 and now he's all the way at minus uh, 135 for Sadiq Yusef so a lot of uh, you know the early action came in uh, on Sadiq Yusef and now the late action is coming back on Shaman Marias and I agree with the late action in this one I think Shaman Marias has uh, you know you know, I think where the opening line was set was much more accurate as almost a pick of minus 135 to minus 105. I really like Shaman Marais' chances in this fight. I actually think I actually think that he will win this fight. And, uh, you know, I've been I've been uh, slightly impressed with Yusef so far. You know, his boxing has looked great, but, you know, his ground game, not so much. He, uh, you know, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it in the UFC. You know, he took on Suman Mokaterian. He got he, he knocked him out in the first round with his boxing. So he looked great in that fight. But if you uh, watch that fight versus Gomez uh, back in LFA, I think it was LFA, and he was, uh, you know, he, there was a, a smaller guy in Gomez in that fight. He, he, you know, the fight was at 145, but Luis Gomez looked like the much smaller guy. That was in t- uh, j- December of 2017, not that long ago. And Gomez was able to take Yusef down, and then he was able to uh, do some some wicked judo throw and spike Sadiq Yusef's face into the canvas and really hurt Yusef and then finish him off with some ground and pound right afterwards. The only loss of Sadiq Yusef's career is coming by the way of uh, Luis Gomez. He was six and zero as an amateur, and then he uh, was uh, you know undefeated going into that fight with Luis Gomez too. And then Luis Gomez you know put a stop to that with that that unique slam. Uh, you know it wasn't some type of fluke. You know that's definitely a technique Luis Gomez has used it before in his fights, and he caught Suma or he caught uh, Sadiq with it in that fight. So. Uh, if this fight takes place in the feet, um, I expect it to be close. It, it it'll be uh, you know it'll be Yusef's boxing versus Marias's Muay Thai. Um, Marias is you know former pro Muay Thai fighter, fought in Thailand, fight and in Lupini Stadium, which is you know it's a highly prestigious stadium. It, you can't no one no one no Joe Schmo can fight there. Not even guys with you know dozens of you know or you know. Hundreds of fights can fight at Lumpini. They only take the highest caliber level of fighters. And Shaman Marias fought there back in 2011 uh, before he, you know, transitioned to his MMA career. But you can still see the Muay Thai in Shaman Marias, man. I can tell you that he's he's uh he really uses good Muay Thai in the octagon. His elbows, particularly, he slices people with those elbows. You watch his fight with Julio Arce, his most recent fight, an absolutely bloody war from uh from those two gentlemen you know i say war because that was just the type of fight it was but you know it was really 
pretty one-sided for Shane Marias, honestly. Uh, I think I think it was somehow a split decision, <laughs> but uh, you know Shane Marias, I think won that fight almost three zero, maybe even you know ten aided one of the first rounds. Actually, no, no, no. The, it was uh, yeah, the first round was ten nine. I'm sorry, yeah, three zero for Marias in that one. He uh, you know Arce took his back in that fight. He defended the choke. He uh, he defended all of the ground attacks from from uh, Arce. The the takedown uh, attempts from Arce. He was able to stuff those easily, and he actually showed some real power with his right hand. He was able to drop Arce in that fight. Uh, you know he, he he's a little bit willing to trade in the pocket. That's where I think he could where he could get himself into trouble in this one. If he's you know throws defense to the wind and is just trying to you know swing and bang with Yusef, Yusef's got real power in his hands. He's got solid boxing, and I think he can he can test that chin of uh, Marais. But Marais can also test the chin of Yusef. You know uh, Luis Gomez hit Sadiq Yusef with a. Uh, a relatively weak right hand. It didn't look like it had much power behind it, and it stunned Yusef bad. So he he could be a little bit chained. Look out for it. And you know those elbows to the side of your head, they don't feel good, and they can put you out easily. So I just think that Marais has more tools. I think he's the better uh, grappler in this fight. Uh, you know the stand up is relatively even. I I give the edge to Yusef in boxing, but when Marais is able to use his kicks, his elbows, his knees, his clinch all together, I think that he becomes the better striker, and that is why I'm favoriting him in this matchup. I think that he will uh, actually has a good chance of finishing Yusef. You know, it, you know Yusef's uh, he's tough though, so I don't think that uh, it'll be easy. Uh, you know, Luis Gomez was able to finish him, but you know, 15 other opponents have tried and have, have failed. So don't expect to get Yusef out there easy. I think this is a terrific matchup between two terrific prospects. You know, I think uh, Marais has you know surpassed the prospect level at this point. I think he's actually a, a proven guy. He's had uh, you know a good amount of experience in the UFC. While Yusef is definitely still a prospect, only a second fight in the UFC. But this one's going to be a close matchup. But I'm going to give the slight edge to Shaman Marais. Now moving on to the next fight, taking place in the light heavyweight division, we have Paul Craig, who is ten and three, taking on Kennedy Nichwenku, who is six and oh now looking over at the opening betting line we have netchenko who is minus 210 opener to craig at plus 165 looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes dot uec netch at minus 185 to craig at plus 160 i'm, I'm calling my boy kennedy uh netch and z e c h um so uh, you know, I, nobody knows how to pronounce his, his name. The, you, he, he won his fight on the Tuesday Night Contender Series, and the, the woman goes, your winner by split decision, Kennedy Nedruchenko. Um, so, you know, I'm not the only one struggling out here. Um, I wonder if uh, is uh, yeah, he's Nigerian too, man. The Nigerians are taking over the UFC. Sadiq Youssef, Nigerian. Nedruchenko, Nigerian. Um, I, I think Israel Adesanya is as well. Uh, I definitely know Kamara Usman is. So, you know, these guys are, you know, t uh, slowly, I wouldn't say taking over the UFC, but, you know, they're making their, their impact. So uh, this is going to be Netch's uh, UFC debut in this one. He's had uh, two fights on the t uh, Tuesday Night Contender Series. And um, he, he also has uh, some, some nice wins in LFA and the uh, XKO promotion. Um, interesting enough, you know. He uh, his level of competition is not too high. His the best opponent he's fought was uh, Anton Burzin on the Tuesday Night Contender Series, and uh, you know that was a tough tough win. 
uh, split decision somehow. He, it was not a split. It was a two two rounds to one for Netch in that one. Uh, he lost the first round. It looked like he got dropped in the first round. It looked like he was in some deep submission attempts in the first round, but he got out of those uh, submission attempts. And now he's fighting another submission guy here in Paul Craig. And, you know, I think Paul Craig's submission, submission abilities have been largely uh, over overestimated you know i don't think he's very you know skilled on the ground you know he he pulled out that you know amazing triangle against ankalaev but other than that uh you know oh he he submitted luis henrique de silva too one of the the, the biggest bums i've ever seen fight and you know but jimmy crute styled him one on the ground he would take jimmy crute down he would ha have top position for a few minutes and then he would get reversed and then crute would put him in a submission or crute would hit him with the uh, the ground and pound. So even though he was the one initiating the grappling in that one, he got out grappled by Jimmy Crute, a, you know, a young, strong guy without much technique. He's 22 years old, um, and he really just uses strength to, uh, you know, just power out of position sometimes. So, uh, and you know, Craig also his his striking is 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 really bad. He he looks scared on the feet. He's you know has lost. Uh, to Tyson Pedro and Khalil Roundtree by TKO. Both of those guys, you know, walked Craig down and, you know, got him out of there quick. Craig just, like I said, looks looks uh, like he, he's, he doesn't look like he likes to strike. It looks like he'd much rather just be grappling and he looks like he's scared to get hit. He's constantly moving back. He's really chinny. He doesn't take much of a shot to uh, knock him out. Uh, so, you know, I just, I, I have a hard time believing that Craig is going to be able to win this fight because his best path to victory is the grappling. Now, Anton Burson is a jiu-jitsu black belt. He's been a black belt for five, six years. I actually know Anton, uh, I wouldn't say well, but I know him. I've you know trained with him a bunch of times uh, in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, he's high level. He competes in jiu-jitsu on a regular basis against other black belts. And, you know, he I've seen him, you know, walk through other black belts in, in no-gi grappling while, you know, he had a deep submission attempt on Netch in that fight, and he was not able to finish him. So I don't think that Craig will be able to finish him either. You know, because his his grappling, he, he doesn't have offensive jujitsu. I think it's got he's got defensive jujitsu. When he was sitting on his back and his face smashed by Ankalaya, he was able to throw up the triangle and get a finish. He's not the type of guy to take you down, you know, get top position and then submit you from there. He likes submitting you from the bottom, which is just not a good position and not a good uh plan honestly because natch is not going to take this fight to the floor he's going to look to keep this fight entirely on the feet where he's much more comfortable where he's got that that good boxing he's got solid kicks as well uh you know Netch's is his his striking looks very good he was able to like i said take uh, get taken down by burzin in the rounds one in that fight then it was able to avoid the ground in rounds two and three and win the fight on the feet uh even though he got taken down and dropped and almost submitted in round one, his cardio looked pretty solid. He was able to uh, win round two and three relatively easily, stuff all the takedown attempts of Burzin and cruise to a decision uh, in that fight. And uh, you know, wasn't wasn't signed off the U wasn't signed to the UFC in that one. They said he's not quite ready yet, which he 100% was not. He went back to the regional scenes, got two knockouts, went back on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, and got one more knockout. He finished, uh, you know, a pretty low-level opponent in that fight, though. So, uh, you know, you know, even though Dennis Bryant, he had a five-on-one record, but you know, 
uh, I would like to see the guys that he beat. Uh, you know, I can uh, we can let's check it right now just to entertain us. Uh, wins over three and three, one and one, fifteen and four, five and sixteen, and four and eleven. Yeah, so his competition has sucked, Dennis Bryan, and that's why you know uh, Netch was able to walk through him so easily. So. Uh, in this fight, Crute's going to be looking to get it to the ground, but his wrestling is not very good. His top control is not very good. His offensive jujitsu is not very good. I don't see him having the ground game to be able to finish this one. Uh, I see Netch keeping it on the feet. I see him, you know, uh, tagging Craig up in this one. Nash doesn't throw with, you know, a lot of power. I think he's more of a consistent volume type of guy than a power type of guy. But, you know, like I said, it does not take much to... Uh, test that chin of Craig. He's gotten hit before. He's definitely chinny. I think the Netch has a good chance of testing that chin again and getting Craig out of there. If he doesn't, I think uh, he will win a decision pretty clearly, uh, avoiding the takedown attempts. You know, I, I hope he's working on his takedown attempts because even though Craig's takedown, uh, his takedowns are pretty bad. You know, he still might be able to hit that takedown on Netch, uh, and Netch is going to be have to uh, be able to get up to, back to his feet. So. Uh, Craig's best path to victory, uh, even though it, you'd think it'd be uh, the submission, it's not. It's it's taking Netch down, winning rounds on top, and winning this fight on the scorecards, maybe two rounds to one. Uh, I he's not. I don't think him. He's gonna submit Netch, and I, he's definitely not gonna knock him out. Uh, so I think the Netch has more paths to victory via decision or knockout, and then I think that he will get this one done. And you know, the all, there's been steady action coming in on Paul Craig the past couple of days. You know, he hovered around plus 200 for the past couple weeks, and now he's in 185, 175, down to 160 now. It's at the point now where Netch is almost becoming playable, but I wouldn't play him. You know, his takedown defense, his jiu-jitsu is a little bit too unknown. It's his UFC debut. You know, I just wouldn't trust him in this spot. Uh, you know, if you see him defend the takedowns early or pop back up to his feet after a takedown, try to hit that live bet. But uh, pre-fight, it's going to be a pass on both sides for this for me in this one. And uh, that's going to take us along to the next fight, which is in the women's strawweight division. We have Karolina Kovalkiewicz, who is 12-3, taking on Michelle Waterson, who is 16-6. The opening betting line for this one was Kovalkiewicz as the minus 135 favorite to Waterson at minus 105. Right now, looking over at five dimes, we see Kovalkiewicz minus 145 to Waterson at plus 125. Great matchup between these two ladies. Uh, two of my favorite uh, fighters in the uh, in WMMA. You know they both uh, have great fights every time. They both have a, a wide variety of technique, both uh, on the ground and on the feet, and it's just a pleasure to watch them. Uh, I'm probably the bigger fan of uh, Kovalkiewicz just because I think her Muay Thai is a uh, she she utilizes Muay Thai effectively in MMA. You know with her clinch game, her knees, her elbows. Uh, you know, she she actually beat the champ currently, the, ch the current champ of uh, strawweight division, uh, Rose Namajunas. Carolina has a win over her, while uh, Rose Namajunas blasted Michelle Waterson into another dimension with that head kick. So, uh, not doing MMA math by any means, but, uh, you know, this is a great matchup. And uh, Michelle Waterson, sh she always comes prepared. You know, she, she, she tracks her progress throughout social media very clearly. You see her start weight at 135, then she goes down you know and wait and wait and wait and she makes her weight great she you know takes her strength and conditioning seriously she prepares for her opponents she's got good coaches behind her they study film and they they uh train for those weaknesses of her opponents and you know she you can tell that in the cage you know some some people they go in 
there training for the same opponent every time. That's that's terrible. You know, MMA is all about matchups. Uh, it, it's you know you can tell you can tell more about watching tape than, than anything. So uh, Michelle Waterson her, and her coaches definitely value watching tape and they prepare for fights very well. So I assure you that this will be a close fight. Even though I give the slight edge to Carolina, I think the Carolina will win this one on the scorecards. But it's not going to be an easy fight at all. Uh, you know the reason why I lean uh, Carolina is her clinch, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, Waterson has, you know, had some trouble with the clinch. Uh, you know, Herrig, Fleece Herrig was able to clinch her up and, uh, you know, control or dictate the fight in the clinch. You know, Herrig wants to clinch. She wants to, you know, take you down. And she was able to do that for per periods of the fight. Now, she uh, she did, Herrig did lose that fight. And Waterson was able to win, uh, I think, two rounds in that fight and uh, come away with the scorecards. But Herrig definitely still had a, a good bit of success. And I think that if, if Carolina was in that position that Herrig was in, that Carolina would have been doing a lot more damage. You know, she had those double underhooks in the clinch. And if it was Carolina, she would have been spamming knees to Watterson's gut uh, and, you know, throwing those elbows over the top. And, uh, you know, she's she's very uh, good in the clinch, Carolina. Uh, she, her technique is just, you know, flawless. Some of the best in the UFC, men or women, in the clinch. Her her output is good. Her cardio is good. She's throwing uh, from, from belt to belt, Carolina is. But, you know, uh, she, her, her, her boxing is definitely her, her weakness. She... Her hands are not very good. Uh, not only uh, offensive and defensively, she's uh, you know she just got caught in that last fight versus Andrade, got dropped with that huge bomb, and uh, you know against all of her opponents, she's so worried about output. She's so worried about you know spamming those uh, those shots constantly. She doesn't pay too much attention to defense, and she's definitely open to get getting countered with the hands. But you know Waterson, not much of a boxer. I don't think. Uh, Carolina has to be too worried about, you know, uh, getting tagged up with boxing in this one. It's going to be interesting where Michelle Waterson wants to take this fight. You know, I, she's, I believe she's going to want to keep it at kicking distance. Um, and, you know, Waterson's kicks are immaculate. You know, she'll be moving backwards and she'll snap a head kick up. She she counters with head kicks. She's moving backwards and she throws side kicks. She's got just beautiful, beautiful kicks. You know, they don't call her the karate hottie for nothing. Uh, she's, you know, she, she, she moves around a lot. She's always moving in and out and no matter where she's at, she can, she can hit you with those kicks. So that's something you got to be worried about. You know, and she, she almost all her opponents, she lands head kicks on, which is just so impressive, honestly. Now, uh, when Carolina is, uh, you know, both of these women do this, they, whenever they clinch up with one another, they both throw big elbows on the break. So, you know, they're clinch, clinch, and they separate, and they both spam an elbow. Michelle uh, Watterson hit uh, Fleece Herrig with some real nice elbows in their fight, especially off of her back as well. Fleece was able to get um, Watterson on her back, but Watterson was winning the exchanges by th throwing those elbows off her back. So... Uh, you know, another another fight to look at in this one is the Michelle Waterson's fight with Tisha Torres. Torres had another uh, had a, a good amount of success in the clinch. She uh, you know put the uh, she wanted the fight in the clinch and she got it there. And if uh, now Torres was able to win that fight, uh, unlike Herrig was in the clinch, Torres was able to win the clinch. She was able to take Waterson down. She was able to hold Waterson down and. Uh, no, no, that was the other way around. Excuse me, I'm looking at my notes wrong. Waterson took Torres down and held Torres down and won the second round. Uh, 
Torres won the first round and the third round. Waterson snuck in the second, you know. So Waterson's fights are always close. She always has a way of making it close with, with her takedowns. With, you know, look for those trip takedowns. Those are coming to play big in this fight. When 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 fighters are clinching up, those trip takedowns are, are often open. And Michelle Waterson really has good trip takedowns. So she knows that Carolina is going to be initiating the clinches in this one. And she's probably been drilling those trip takedowns from the clinch nonstop these past six weeks. She's probably also been, you know, training her kicks or movement to try to keep uh, Carolina off of her, and uh, she she might even be looking to take this fight to the ground, considering that Carolina's, uh, I believe that Waterson is the better grappler than Carolina in this matchup. Um, so you know, Waterson, I I would say, uh, I th I would say they, you know, it's just almost a dead pick them in this one. I slightly lean Carolina's way because I just seen a little bit of too much weakness in Waterson from the clinch in this one. I think Waterson has a tiny chance to submit um, Carolina, just like Carolina has a tiny chance to knock out Waterson. But, you know, Waterson slows down in the second and third rounds. Carolina has crazy output. She's got, you know, she punishes the body a lot. It's certainly possible that Carolina could get a late finish, but I don't see it happening. I see it going to the scorecards. And now if, if it's more grappling heavy, I see uh, Waterson edging out the scorecards. If it's more striking and clinch heavy, I see Carolina uh, winning the scorecards in this one. And I do think it will be more striking, more clinch oriented. And I do see Carolina Kovalkiewicz winning a decision two rounds to one. But it's going to be a great matchup. It's going to be you know uh, all, contested all over the octagon on, on the feet in the clinch and uh, in the grappling exchanges. And it's going to be a great fight. You know, uh, women's matchups don't really get much better than this one and i'm looking forward to it a lot moving on to the next fight in the featherweight division we have josh emmett who is 13 and 2 taking on michael johnson who is 19 and 13 the opening betting line for this one was michael johnson minus or excuse me, michael johnson was plus 100 to josh emmett at minus 140 looking over at five dimes.eu right now we see emmett minus 110 johnson minus 110 a perfect pick them in this one and uh it's surprising honestly i think the books are are over evaluating josh emmett in this one i think he got he got too much respect versus jeremy stevens he closed he closed as a plus 100 underdog to jeremy stevens now he did have moments of success in that fight. He did drop Jeremy Stevens in that fight, but ultimately Jeremy Stevens was able to make the adjustment and then finish uh, Josh Emmett brutally in that next round. Absolutely brutal, brutal finish. It did an, uh, an incredible amount of damage to Josh Emmett. My man broke his orbital, his nose, his cheek, his lip, his jaw, his chin, his ear. He broke everything in his face, man. Uh, he's had a, uh, you know, he's taken over a year off, luckily, to repair those injuries, but it's going to be tough to, to recover from that, you know, it's not only physically, you know, it, you know, you're, you're a fighter, you're getting punched in the nose constantly, so it's hard to, you know, let those injuries fully heal, but mentally, man, you know, you're also a fighter who's getting punched in the face, and you have to realize, oh shit, like, there's real damage being done to me, from taking these punches and no one knows that better than josh emmett right now he just had to get five surgeries to repair eight 80 broken bones in his face after uh jeremy stevens you know uh butchered his face with elbows and punches so you know it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how josh emmett bounces back for from the, that that devastating loss physically and mentally you know he he was really aggressive he threw with a lot of fast twitch muscle you know he would he would wait 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 and then just 
throw bombs. You just just come in the pocket and throw bombs. And uh, he was he's not really an output kind of guy. He he's looking to throw heavy shots. He's looking to knock you out, honestly. And that's what he did versus Ricardo Lamas. Definitely his best win by far. He came in that fight short notice against Ricardo Lamas, and he put Lamas out cold uh, with his left hand too. He dropped he dropped Jeremy Stevens with his right hand. He dropped Ricardo Lamas with his left hand. So. Edmund's got power in both of his hands. And, uh, you know, both of these gentlemen, former lightweights, dropping down to featherweight. I don't understand how either of them make featherweight, honestly. Uh, you know, Johnson definitely has a smaller frame, but Emmett has so much muscle. He's so thick for the weight class. It's incredible how this man makes weight. His back is so wide. He's got so much muscle in his upper body. Uh, I just have no idea how my man makes 145. And I think that... I think it's, you know, the weight cut's not good for him. You know, it seems like he's got a great wrestling background. It doesn't seem like he likes to use it because wrestling is tiring. It, it, it you know, exhausts your muscles quick. And I don't think Emmett has the body type to, to be, you know, implement his wrestling in the cage. I think the reason why he doesn't throw too much output, he's not looking to, you know, uh, uh, throw with volume. He's looking to throw single shots with the power is because that just that that suits his body type better. So, look for Josh Emmett in this fight to be you know he's M Johnson's going to be the more active striker. He's going to be throwing more punches. He's going to be landing more. But Josh Emmett's going to be marching forward, looking to land that one punch that can test that chin of uh, Michael Johnson. Now, Michael Johnson's got a really good chin. I mean, I, I can. Let's see. I mean, he got submitted by Khabib. Let's try to think if uh, if Michael Johnson he got submitted by uh, Darren Elkins. Let's try to think if Michael Johnson's ever been knocked out. Um, pulling up his record right now. Let's see. Uh, oh yeah, Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje knocked him out. That's that's one. Uh, let's see here. Submission, submission, decision. Dec yeah. So one knockout in his career. That came by the way of Justin Gaethje, and that came by you know uh, he, he was winning that fight too. He was he had early success, and then eventually just the the, the accumulated damage and pressure of Gaethje eventually broke him, finishing him in that fight. But it's not like he got. He, he never got knocked down in that fight. He was wobbled and he did like, you know, the Jimmy leg a couple of times and didn't really have his legs against uh, underneath him. But he didn't get dropped. He never got, you know, he didn't get put out cold or anything like that. It was a TKO stoppage. So jo Michael Johnson's chin is is iron. But if, if Josh Emmett connects with one of those bombs on, chin, uh, on Johnson's chin, I think Johnson might go night-night in this one. But... I think Johnson is the much more technical striker. I think he's got better defense. He's got a, a good jab. He's got a wicked left hand. Uh, he's you know throws throws a lot of kicks as well. Uh, I think that uh, you know J Johnson will be the better striker in there. I think that he will be able to avoid that big power shot of Josh Emmett. And I think that he will win this one, uh, outstriking Emmett on the scorecards. Now, you know if Emmett finally decides to use that wrestling pedigree, it'll get interesting. You know he's got the he's got that wrestling. Johnson's ground game is definitely his weakness. He's been taken down and submitted before. He he fought Darren Elkins. He 10 to Darren Elkins in the first round. And then Darren Elkins went out there, took him down, and choked him out 90 seconds into the second round. And Darren Elkins trains a team alpha male where Josh Emmett trains, where Andre Feely trains, who Michael Johnson just fought. So Team Alpha Male is, is preparing for their third fight with Michael Johnson in the past year. 
So you got to think that you know the the, the event they're going to be sharing secrets with one another. They're going to they're going to be saying, oh, this is what he does, and you know, maybe they could, maybe they're going to figure out the formula to Michael Johnson. They couldn't figure it out with uh, Andre Feely. Andre Feely lost that fight, although a very very close fight. Darren Elkins was able to, even though he got his face boxed in for the first half of the fight, he was able to take him down. So. I think the Team Alpha Male guys are going to be urging Josh Emmett to, to wrestle in this one. I think Emmett's going to be thinking about you know his face getting smashed. He's not going to want to eat too many punches. And I think he's going to be looking to wrestle in this one. So if this fight takes place on the feet, I, I think that Michael Johnson will uh, will uh, avoid that power shot of Johnson. And he will outstrike Johnson. Or, uh, Johnson will avoid the power shot of Emmett. And will outstrike Josh Emmett to a decision. If Emmett decides to, you know, mix up the wrestling, it'll get interesting. It'll, it really will. You know, I don't know if Emmett has much submission skills, but if he can put Johnson on his back, if he can win rounds, if he can not expand too much energy and be able to go the full three rounds, then Emmett has a good chance of winning this one, be it with his wrestling. But I don't think he will. I, like I said, I don't think Emmett has the style, the body type for wrestle. I don't think he'll have the cardio to wrestle. I think he loves, you know, throwing hands. You know, he... He fell in love with the knockout uh, a while back, and I don't think he's abandoned it since. And I think he'll be looking to strike in this one, and I think Johnson will uh, outstrike him uh, for the for the entirety of the fight. And uh, Johnson will win on the scorecards in this one. So moving on to the next fight in the middleweight division, the co-main event of the evening, we have Dave Branch, who is 22-5, taking on Jack Hermanson, who is 18-4. The opening betting line for this one was Jack Hermanson as the minus 120 favorite to Dave Branch as the minus 120 favorite, a minus 120 pick'em uh, opening uh, opening odds in this one right now over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes we are seeing hermanson minus 125 branch at plus 105 so two-way action is definitely coming in on this fight uh you know hermanson was a bigger favorite earlier in the week and now he's creeping up uh back to even money so very close matchup in this fight uh you know uh it really, uh, I, I lean Hermanson. I'm just going to say it right off the bat. I just, uh, I've been really impressed with Hermanson lately. I uh, have been really underwhelmed with Dave Branch lately. Dave Branch has had, uh, I think, a, a pretty horrible UFC career, uh, if I'm being quite frank. You know, he's 1-3 in, in the UFC. He's 1, uh, excuse me. He's 2-2 two two in the UFC. Uh, I, don't, I misspoke. Um... And uh, two and two, uh, that went over Christoph Jocko. Just an absolutely boring fight. He looked terrible in that one. He was clinching against the cage, and he he looked very very mediocre. He got knocked out by Rockout, and he got knocked out by Cannonier in his last fight, with a, a knockout win over Thiago Santos, which looks pretty good in, uh, in between those. So, Branch has got nice boxing. He's got good takedowns. His top control is not very good though. You know, he's he'll be able to get those takedowns, but he doesn't do much with the takedowns. He He's a jiu-jitsu black belt. A lot of his early wins came by the way of submission, but he hasn't really gone back to that submission pedigree. Uh, you know, Dave Branch, he doesn't do well against leg kicks. I think he has bad boxing defense. I think he's got a bad chin. I think he gets tagged really easily. Uh, you know, when he takes down opponents, you know, they get up. Jared Cannonier got up. Christoph Jocko got up. He didn't do much damage versus either of those guys. Uh, and Branch, even though having a good wrestling background, he got taken down by Luke Rockhold. He got taken down by Christoph Jocko. So 
take, fighting a guy like Jack Hermanson, who's got the best ground and pound in MMA, self-proclaimed. And honestly, I, I got to agree with the guy after his past two fights, winning both of them. Uh, not both of them by way of ground and pound. Well, you know, he, he kind of did. You know, his last fight was a submission uh, arm and guillotine over um, Gerald Michard, but he, he the submission was opened up by the ground and pound. The dude's got vicious, vicious ground and pound. And uh, you want to talk about in crazy fights. Jack Hermanson versus Talos Lathis is one of the most inspiring fights I've ever seen in my life. Hermanson loses the first round. He gets taken down in the second, and you see him start wincing in pain. Right away, he's wincing in pain. We don't know what it is. You know, we're watching the replay. We think it's his knee. Uh, you know, we don't know it, but he's the, and then he has black belt, you know, a guy who's been grappling for 25, 30 years in Talos Lathis on top of him, full mount, side control, half guard, just putting that pressure right in his chest. And the dude just broke his rib. So imagine breaking your rib and then having a 200 pound guy who's a black belt in jiu-jitsu on top of you for an entire round, trying to choke you out. Now, Hermanson in that round was put in deep, um, arm triangle chokes by Talos Latis so deep to the point where Talos Latis's corner man started celebrating to the crowd the, the fight was in Brazil Brazilian fighter locked up the, the submission which started cheering and then all of a sudden he turned around it's like oh he's he's defending Hermanson defended the choke he got out of the choke and you know he was beat down at the end of the second round you know he was wincing in pain he was like you know making making uh you know audible gasps in pain stumbling back to his corner you know the, the referee was checking on him in between rounds are you sure you can go are you sure yeah, yeah he can go he comes out round three he throws a flying knee and misses he goes for his own submission attempt versus talus latest he doesn't get it Humans gets put in another submission attempt, or uh, Humans gets tapped out again by Talos Latis. He gets put in a deep anaconda submission attempt from Black Belt Talos Latis and gets out of the choke one last time. And that was the last of T Talos Latis. Talos Latis had nothing left in the tank. He rolled over. He got on bottom. Jack Hermanson gets on top, and he pounds him out for the ground-and-pound victory. And, you know, just the sheer emotion that Jack Hermanson uh, showed after that fight. He's, ugh. Uh, that's the noise he was making. He was just he. That's all he could say. He wasn't celebrating. He wasn't happy. He was just moaning in pain from his broken rib, and he just couldn't believe the fact that he he came back from that fight. He was you know crying after the fight. He said it was the worst pain he's ever experienced, and uh, you know I don't doubt it. Just the fact that he came back from that fight. The fact that he got out of those deep submission chokes from a jiu-jitsu black belt. The, the fact that he survived that top pressure from Talos Latis and then came back two rounds to none in the third round and finished his opponent in the third. It was just, I, I watched it today again and it, I've seen the fight multiple times before. It's just one of the most incredible uh, comebacks I've ever seen. You know, I think the, the, the commentators actually kind of give it a disservice. Oh, Hermanson could finish it right here. And that is it. Hermanson with the comeback victory. No, no, dude. He just came back from the brink of death from the brink of being choked out with his ribs broken and he comes back and he, he ground and pounds uh talus latis for the finish so i've been going on about that fight for a, lo a while you know check that fight out it's just it's just so great uh from hermanson just an inspiring performance and uh you know he's had another fight since then hermanson went down he took down mirshart he pounded mirshart out and he submitted mirshart you know a very sim a very advanced grappler in his own right and, uh, you know, 
I, that's why I favor Hermanson in this one. He just beat a guy whose specialty is the ground game. Now, I would say Branch is a, a very well-rounded martial artist. I'd say that, you know, it's hard to say. I'd say his ground game is better. He's got the, the wrestling background. He's got the jiu-jitsu black belt. His striking isn't too good. Uh, I would say that Branch's uh, specialty is the ground. But Hermanson just beat a guy whose specialty is the ground as well in, in martial art. Now, Branch is a lot better than Mearshart, so I give Branch a little bit better of a chance at, in this one. I think that uh, I think that Hermanson will, you know, his striking is so unorthodox. He's got real fast in and out movement. He thwacks leg kicks around. He, uh, you know, his boxing is not very good, but uh, you know, neat, uh, Branch's isn't either. You know, Branch is good offensive boxing, but his defensive is boxing is pretty bad. So. You know, I I, uh, I think this one will end up on the floor. I think that Hermanson will uh, will get that top position and he will rain down that ground and pound again. You know, Branch has gotten stuck on bottom and gotten TKO'd before. It happened versus Rockhold. Uh, you know, he he got TKO'd by Cannonier in his last fight. He's really, uh, you know, looked uh, very mediocre in the UFC so far. And, you know, Hermanson has just looked nothing but impressive. So... I got to side with Hermanson in this one. I think that he gets it done uh, probably by finish as well. And now we have arrived at the main event of the evening in the lightweight division. We have Edson Barboza, who is 20-6, taking on Justin Gaethje, who is 19-2. The opening betting line for this one was Edson Barboza as the minus-135 favorite to Justin Gaethje as the minus-105 underdog. Right now, we are seeing Edson Barbosa minus 130, Justin Gaethje at plus 110. So, two-way action coming in on this fight. You know, the, since the line has been out, it's been bouncing all over the place. Gaethje shot up to plus 160 at one point. You know, went uh, you know went back down to plus 120. Now it went back up to plus 145, and now he's back down to all the way to minus or excuse me plus 110, the lowest he's uh, been uh, since pretty much since the the line opened. So. Obviously, a very close fight in this one. The, the odds indicate it. Any fight fan knows that this one's going to be a, a hard-fought war. Uh, either I don't expect either one of these guys to make it look easy. I think it's going to be a back-and-forth uh, battle in this one. And, you know, I just can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see it in person. And I just hope I get to witness, you know, uh, an all-out war between these two gentlemen. So uh, let's uh, start talking about what these guys do good. Justin Gaethje. Uh, one of the best pressure fighters in the sport. Just from the moment the bell starts, he's marching you forward. He he likes getting punched, man. The craziest part about this guy, it seems like he likes getting hit at some point. It, it, does, it looks like he can't get into a fight unless he gets tagged beforehand. So in almost all of his fights, he gets rocked. and, and he, he eats punches in all of his fights, but in every one of them, he marches forward and he throws back harder than his opponents have thrown at him. And only two guys have been able to stop him. And that's been Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje, or, excuse me, Eddie Alvarez and uh, Dustin Poirier, excuse me, have been able to stop him. But you know, Gaethje was had success against both of those guys. He was winning the fight against Poirier uh, before he got stopped in that one. Uh, I think he was losing the fight against Eddie before he uh, got finished in that one. But uh, you know, it's just uh, he's got he's got weaknesses. You know that 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 type of that fighting style is is a weakness in itself you know he's you know he puts on a good show for the fans he has incredible fights he ha goes to war in all of his fights but he's taking an immense amount of damage you know 
he's he's eaten so many punches it's just it, it can't be good for you that, that 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 damage is gonna accumulate over time and his chin is just not gonna be there anymore after a while but i don't think we're there yet i think he could still take a shot pretty well uh but uh you know where he can't take shots well is to the body you know eddie alvarez uh eddie alvarez attacked his body viciously and eventually possibly led to the finish of justin gaethje in that fight you know gaethje was training for five round fights and he had a great gas tank but eddie alvarez finished him in a three round fight so that definitely had something to do with eddie alvarez uh, you know digging the body versus justin gaethje in that fight back at ufc 218 i think it was um so i could be wrong i could have just totally made up that day even though i'm pretty sure it was 218 uh, so Barbosa is is uh, you know one of the probably the best kicker in the sport you know just an incredible Muay Thai uh, practitioner some of the fastest kicks in in the UFC the best wheel kicks in the UFC you know highlight real knockouts for days he he hits your legs hard he's got very solid takedown defense as well he's got good knees flying knees spinning attacks just one of the 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 best strikers in, that the sport has ever seen. Uh, you know, but the, the thing he struggles with is pressure. You know, we've seen guys beat him with pressure before. Most most uh, notoriously was Michael Johnson. That fight was a straight striking battle where Michael Johnson outboxed Edson Barboza. He had Michael Johnson or, or he had Barboza on the back foot the entire fight and he outboxed him to a unanimous decision in that one. When Edson Barbosa doesn't have space, when he isn't able to kick at that range that he's comfortable at, when he isn't able to dictate the pace of the fight, he struggles big time. Uh, you know, and uh, you know that happened against Varner. You know, when he got uh, when he got finished back in the day, back at UFC 146. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> Don Cerrone was bringing the pressure to him, dropped him with a jab, choked him out. And then uh, Tony Ferguson, you know, relentless pressure, uh, eventually broke Barbosa in that fight. And then two wrestlers, uh, Nurmagomedov and Kevin Lee, uh, uh, broke Barbosa in that fight, which is vicious ground and pound wrestling, top control. But you know, uh, you know, even though Justin Gaethje has that great wrestling background, he's wrestled in college. He's got great wrestling. He doesn't use it. He, it's not worth hypothesizing. Uh, hy hypothesizing on if Justin Gaethje is going to use his wrestling it comes into question in every fight and he never uses it he's just trying to knock people out that's what he does he cuts off the cage well you know you saw that in the James Vick fight James Vick is a huge tall guy he had a lot of reach a lot of height on Gaethje but Gaethje studied him he studied his movements he knew where he knew that Vick used the tall man's defense and then he eventually knocked him out by cutting off that cage with that left hook and uh you know that's where that's what i think is going to come into factor in this fight you know it's it's the cutting off the cage it's the pressure of gaethje i see gaethje walking forward not letting barbosa have that range that barbosa prefers he prefers to have the fight you know a, more of a methodical pace where he can kick you at range but when he's moving off of his back foot he can't throw the kicks as much and when he does throw kicks he gets tagged up with the boxing and that's where Gaethje's going to look to catch him. He's going to look to test that chin of Barboza with his hands. Barboza's going to be looking to dig to the body with those kicks. You know, he just finished Dan Hooker with body kicks. In a vicious, vicious fight in uh, in that one. Where he fin uh, just went to the 
body with the kicks repetitively against Dan Hooker and eventually just led to the finish. And he's, uh, you know, he's going to be looking to throw a couple punches, get Justin Gaethje's high guard up, and then rip the body just like uh, Eddie Alvarez did uh, back a couple years ago. So it's a real close fight. Barbosa definitely has a path to victory. I would say it's attacking that body. It's, uh, you know, sitting down on some shots and not being content to move backwards, not letting Justin Gaethje walk you down, you know, landing the leg kicks on, on both of these guys have great leg kicks. Uh, Justin Gaethje's got good leg kicks. Barbosa's got great leg kicks. Barbosa's going to be looking to try to slow down that movement and that pressure by thwacking that leg of uh, Justin Gaethje with the leg kick. And, uh, you know, that's how he's going to, Barbosa, that's his path to victory, is attack the legs, slow down Gaethje, then attack the body, and then look to finish him either to the body or, you know, open up a head kick, uh, you know, some flashy KO. Gaethje's going to also look to kick the legs of Barbosa, limit Barbosa's movement, and then look to cut off the cage, head, head Barbosa off, not follow him, not let Barbosa get the kicks uh, going, and then look to uh, land the boxing on Barbosa and probably knock Barbosa out. You know, this fight is definitely, uh, I don't see it going to the scorecards. I definitely see one another, uh, one gentleman finishing one another, and it's just going to be an all-out war. I do side with Justin Gaethje. I got him as a plus 145 underdog. Where the odds are at now, I don't know. You know, it's 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 tough. Plus 110 is not, it's, it's close to no value on Gaethje. You know, I think Gaethje, you know, if I had to cap the fight, I would say Barbosa minus one thirty, Gaethje plus one ten. So yeah, pretty much where the where the line is at exactly right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly where it's at now. So I'm I guess there's I don't know I guess there's no value on Gaethje where he is now. But I, I expect more money to come in on Barbosa as we get closer to fight day. He he was hovering around minus one sixty minus one seventy for the past couple weeks. I expect more money to come in on him later. But you know. Uh, I'm just hoping for a good fight. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not sold on Gaethje 100%. I don't think it's a clear path to victory by him by any means. So uh, I'm just hoping for a good fight and all-out war, and I can't fucking wait for this card. I will be in attendance, section 106. Uh, you know, if any of you are all, all, uh, who are listening are also going to be uh, at the fights, you know, hit me up on Twitter at UFO, UFC, and uh, we can link up or something like that. And, um... You know, with that being said, that's going to conclude the UFC Philadelphia preview to the podcast. And then we're just going to quickly recap the UFC uh, Nashville card that went down this past weekend and some uh, general MMA news stories from throughout the week. All right, so I'm going to breeze through this Nashville recap because I really honestly didn't even watch the card that closely. It's definitely been uh, the least watched card uh, for the past probably year and a half for me. I was just um, busy Saturday night watching my friend fight and uh, wasn't able to sit down and watch the fights live as much. I watched most of them uh, back over, but I also skipped a few too. Uh, Espinosa, Shelton, um, Espinosa won on the scorecards. Um, Nothing to say about that one. Didn't really watch it. Uh, Gutierrez uh, outstruck McDonald to a decision. McDonald looks like he didn't deserve to be in the UFC. Gutierrez looked a lot better. Marcos took down Hill, dominated Hill with that pressure, and eventually submitted Angela Hill with an armbar. Didn't see that one coming at all. Probably ran a Marcos' best performance in the octagon. Uh, Jennifer Maya defeated Alexis Davis by decision. Uh, you know, pretty decent fight, honestly. I remember Maya winning the first, Alexis the second, and then Maya coming back for the third. See, Marlon Vera TKO'd Frankie Signs with some punches to the back of the head. 
Uh, Bryce Mitchell defeated Bobby Moffitt by decision. Uh, Bobby Moffitt looked pretty shit in this fight. Honestly, I was expecting a lot better from him. It was a back and forth fight, though. I think uh, Mitchell won one, Moffitt won two, Mitchell won the third. Uh, Macy Barber defeated JJ Aldrich. You know, uh, Aldrich actually hurt Macy Barber really badly in the first round of this fight, but Macy, uh, Barber was able to survive the storm and then finish Aldrich in the next round with punches uh, of her own. Nice performance from her there. Luis Pena, Steven Pearson, pretty boring fight. Pearson was just going for the takedowns. It was kind of a grinding against the cage fight. And uh, Pena was able to stuff the shots and land the harder punches on the feet. Uh, Formiga outclass Davison Figueroa. You know, uh, just used pure technique and skill to outclass the bigger, more muscle, uh, more powerful, stronger guy in Figueroa. Uh, MacDessie outstruck Pinedo in a very boring low output decision. Curtis Blades took down uh, Justin Willis and Russell fucked him to a decision. And then in the main event, one of the most shocking fights I've ever seen. Not the entirety of the fight, shocking outcomes. Coming into the fight as a over a 3-1 to one underdog. And after losing the first 9 minutes of the fight, being a plus 500 underdog live... Anthony Pettis knocks out Stephen Wonderboy Thompson with a Superman punch that puts Thompson out cold. Just an, an absolutely unbelievable knockout, a screaming at the screen type knockout. You know, just you know, he was down, he was losing this fight, he lost two rounds already, and then out of nowhere, Anthony Pettis throws a, a Superman punch that right on the chin, Thompson puts him out cold. Thompson goes down hard, his head bounces off the canvas, and then Pettis lands two absolute grave digger punches on the ground. Um, you know, I wouldn't say they were unnecessary because, um, you know, the, the referee didn't come in and stop them, but, uh, you know, Thompson was already gone by the time, before he even hit the ground, and then his head bounced off the canvas, and then Pettis uh, put him in the coffin with two more punches. Seems like Thompson, uh, you know, recovered well though. He was, uh, you know, awake and sentient, and you know, messing around uh, after the fight. Um, you know, in good spirits after the knockout loss. But you know, Pettis moving up to welterweight, facing a guy who you know has never been knocked out. You know, Till dropped him, Woodley dropped him. They weren't able to finish him. Neither he fought Robert Whitaker, wasn't able to finish him. Johnny Hendricks, he fought some of the the biggest punchers at the welterweight. And nobody was able to finish him. And then Pettis, a lifetime lightweight, comes up to welterweight and knocks him out with one punch. Just a beautifully placed, timed punch. And, uh, you know, just so happy for Anthony Pettis to pull off that victory. Just an absolutely massive come-from-behind upset. And, uh, you know, that shit just doesn't happen in many sports. You know, you if... If, if, if that was a baseball game, Anthony Pettis would have been down seven runs, okay? You can't hit an eight-run home run, okay? But this is fighting. You can land one punch that changes the entire outcome of the fight. It's not like, you know, basketball when you're down ten baskets and you have to come back and you need a bunch of time to do it. You can change the outcome of the contest in one second with one strike, unlike any other sport. Even, it, you know, it happens in boxing, but it happens even less often. I would say, you know, the amount of times that, uh, you know, it happened in boxing last week, actually. This guy was cruising to a decision. In the last 30 seconds of the last round, he gets knocked out. But, you know, boxing is a much more calculated game. There's less weapons. You know, you're throwing punches. You only have to be worried about punches. You know, they can come from different angles, but they, you only have to be worried about punches. In MMA, you have to be worried about 
punches, elbows, kicks, knees, takedowns, submissions, everything, and those the, all those variables, you know, end up with more you know outcomes, and that outcome of the Superman come from behind knockout behind from Anthony Pettis was at the bottom of that list, and but it still happened, you know, and that's why MMA is you know the greatest sport on earth, uh, you know, nothing else even comes close to it, and uh, you know it's uh, you know. It, this that 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 knockout really saved the card you know it had eight decisions it was a boring card and you know the main card was not too exciting four decisions in a row before the four dominant decisions in a row not very com- competitive fights on the main card and then pettis comes out there and starches wonder boy uh, after the getting uh, getting butchered for the first uh, 10 minutes of the fight so just an incredible come from behind victory it was so happy for pettis and uh with that being said we're just going to quickly get into a couple stories from the week we're just going to talk about the uh the fights that were in- oh yeah conor mcgregor allegedly retired that's not happening um you know he uh he you know he said that he's retired uh he said that before it's not ha- that's not it's just not going to come to fruition you know he'll fight again soon um, you know, uh, but some speculation, some conspiracy, like we love on this podcast. You know, McGregor says, I'm retiring from mixed martial arts. Later in that day, the New York Times publishes an article saying Conor McGregor is being investigated for a rape that happened in December back in Ireland. You know, MMA fans knew about this months ago. Back in December, there was a report coming out of Ireland. Uh, notor- they, not, they didn't say notorious, that would have been too obvious. They said a famous worldwide Irish athlete celebrity is being investigated for, you know, a sexual assault crime. And, you know, everybody knew that was Connor. It was in like a Dublin bar, you know, everyone knew it was Connor. And, you know, but but there were some laws in Ireland where you can't, you know, divulge the person's name or something like that before they're, you know, convicted of the crime. Um, so you know his name was not released but then four months later he was uh, then his name was released and right before that you know 12 hours before this story broke in the new york times conor mcgregor tweets out that he's retiring from mixed martial arts you know the tweet they got um the tweet that uh said that conor mcgregor is being investigated for the sexual assault crimes it got about 2,000 likes, 2,000 retweets. The tweet that said that he was retiring got 80,000 retweets, 300,000 likes. You know, so it, that the numbers are the proof. You know, one is a groundbreaking story about a serious crime that Connor could have potentially committed. It got you know 4,000 likes and retweets. His about a totally hypothetical retirement that has no chance of happening got over 400,000 likes and retweets. So, you know, the, the, he, his strategy was to, you know, announce some, something more, you know, to, to shout louder, you know, you're saying, oh, I, uh, you know, there's an alleged rape assault against me. Well, I'm going to shout something louder. I'm retiring. And then people hear that retirement, you know, that mission accomplished, you know, he's got a publicist, he's got people working behind him. They knew that story was going to break in the New York times and they decided to tell him to do something to distract people from that. So that's what happened. Um, you know, it's it's you know I'll I'll I've not rided Connor from 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 start to finish, um, you know f- from through thick and thin for the past couple of years. But man, if this if this rape uh, allegation comes out to be true, then that would probably be the last straw um, for Connor. That would probably be the nail in the coffin. But you know, let's hope for the best. Uh, let's hope for that that no um, that nothing. Uh, you know, let's. 
I don't I don't know. It's hard to say. Let's hope for the best. What are you going to hope that the girl that, that if the girl actually did get raped that she shouldn't get justice? No, I'm not going to hope for that at all. I'm hoping that it's a, you know, a false allegation and the Connor never did anything wrong in the first place. But, you know, do I believe that? I, I don't know. I really don't. Um you know, Connor is a very aggressive, a very, you know, uh, you know, drug behavior driven type of guy. Uh, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that he could have done something like this. Let's hope that he, you know, grabbed some girl's ass or, you know, something like that or did something, you know, non, non-violent to somebody. But, um, you know, it would, it, would, it would break my heart if, if uh, it came to fruition that he actually, you know, did uh, rape someone and, uh, you know, that would be the last straw. You know what I mean? So, a um, bunch of fights announced. The rematch, Tyron Woodley versus Robbie Lawler. Great fight in that one. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of strange timing, but fuck it, man. Just, just go ahead and do it. Um, the John Bones Jones defending the title against Thiago Mahetta Santos, my favorite fighter. Uh, Thiago Santos right now. The dude just brings it every single fight. He's never had a boring fight. Um, you know, I, I, I like I like Thiago's chances in this one. You know, I think he's gonna be he's gonna bring the brawl to Jones. He's gonna, you know, put Jones uncomfortable. Jones doesn't like trading in the pocket. His defense, his boxing defense is not that good. Uh Thiago is gonna look to blitz him, he's gonna look to test that chin and uh you know, I like Thiago's chances in this one. I think that uh, I probably will be betting Thiago in this spot. You know, he opened a plus five hundred already. That's you know, massive value to me already. I think he's the favorite. Um, so, uh, another fight announced, Marlon Marais versus uh, Henry Cejudo for the vacant Bantamweight title. We speculated that was going to be the case, and that, that ended up uh, coming to fruition. Great fight in that one. And then another fight between Holly Holm and Amanda Nunes for the Bantamweight title is going down. Uh, UFC 239, another great matchup between two of the best women in the world. So, um, with those couple of fights announced, you know, that's going to be it for the program. You know, we uh, we broke down the UFC Philadelphia car going down this Saturday night. We previewed the UFC, uh, or excuse me, we recapped the UFC Nashville car that went down this past weekend. And we talked about some general MMA stories from throughout the week. So that's going to do it for episode 55. It's been nine weeks in a row of Martian MMA. We're, we're, we are off next week for the first time in a while. So, uh... It's going to be nice to get the break, and we'll be back at uh, back at you with the UFC 236 in a couple of weeks. And we'll see you then. Enjoy the fights in Philly on Saturday night.